of utmost priority. We uh, use this as a, a three-part series here and excited about that. You may be even thinking about your own life and what is a priority, especially as you come to the fall. Some of you as parents got stuff with kids and, and others of you think about what you got to do around the house or some of you at lakes and cabins listening online are thinking about how you got to close that up. There's all kinds of priorities that you probably write down. We as a church have agreed together, came from you through a survey, through um, having uh, focus groups, through a time of prayer to these three priorities that we've been talking about. And really, as as Andrea said, we were blessed by um, those on our teaching team who uh, have spoken into this, uh, looking at last week where we talk about reaching the community with this love of Jesus that is found in the gospel. And then having Luke um, Brodeur share that with us. And, And then the next week, or that week where Becca spoke, where she spoke about um, what can we do to embrace, put our arms around and empower, help encourage, lift up those who are coming from those emerging generations. And so I had the opportunity, I'm excited to share with you what I believe is an incredibly important priority. Let's do this together. Let's, let's as a church say, how can we each be a part of this? And make this happen, reaching people and embracing people and and doing this together as a church family. Uh, I read in a book called The Coddling of the American Mind by um, two authors, Greg Lukanioff and Jonathan Haidt. And some of you may have known the name Jonathan Haidt. He's written books like The Happiness Hypothesis or um, a great book on on why we experience this political divide. It's called The Righteous Mind. They're not of a Christian tradition. They wouldn't um, sign up for that, so to speak. In fact, um, Haidt is an evolutionary psychologist who is an atheist, but very warm, very open to um, how that plays out with regard to many of the Christian principles and truths, and he works through that. The reason I share this with you is in this book, these authors talk about some things that have been occurring. And, and one of the things they note is that from 1940 to 1980, the U.S. experienced what they say, quote, a period of unusually low political polarization and cross-party animosity. So that supposedly somewhat in those times, Democrats and Republicans didn't have the kind of hatred and fights that's going on. Um, the, the country itself wasn't as polarized. And it was combined with the generally high levels of social trust and trust in government. And they back this up with all kinds of research. I mean, you can tell a scholarly academic book by just going back and seeing all their footnotes and things such as that. And they look into the Pew Research Polls, a number of other poll researching centers, and they have taken this information and put it together. But the basic thought is this. They cite several reasons for this unity and trust that occurred from the 40s and 80s. And one of the first things that they um, say is a reason is this, that there was before, prior to, and during this time period, of 40, 30, 80s, the country faced some similar challenges and enemy. Think about it for a second. When, when you find yourself in a challenge, even as a family, you just come together, you kind of put problems aside. So during that time, they went through the Great Depression, they went through World War II, and then there was the Cold War. And all those things had a way of catalyzing us together as a nation. 
But when those things are removed, it's a lot easier to begin to kind of divide and, and to do so in tribalistic ways and each in their own community and divide in those such ways. Then he cites a second reason. And, and this reason is, is an interesting one. I'll quote it here. It says, we live in an increasingly economically and politically segregated communities right down to the city block. That means the people you live near probably make about the same kind of money. They probably have some of the same kind of political views and thoughts, and they probably are people who, as well culturally, have some similar experiences right down to the very block. So what you insulate yourself with is the people who kind of think and and do and live life like you live. And then the third thing they say that, that has caused some of this divide that's occurring within our nation right now, this tribalistic hatred, if you just... All you have to do is look around, read the paper, and you'll see it. The third major reason is they talk about the media environment. There was a time, so date some of you, that there were only three major networks. And so you kind of got a common news source. And then there was a period through the 90s and 2000 where all of a sudden there's lots of channels and cable channels and you could begin to kind of pick and watch what really you wanted to listen to. And then comes 2010, and this is part of their book where they make some statements around the anxiety and depression that's happening with kids and how they're growing up and, and they took studies specifically in those college years of how this is developing. And they basically say that in this time period, what happened with social media, there were just a, a, a whole number of social media sites, all kinds of different platforms. And on these platforms are search engines, and these search engines have algorithms, and those algorithms have a way of seeing what you're looking at, and they can measure how long you look at it so that they can begin to send you something that's very close to what you looked at so they can keep you on the screen. And basically what they're doing, if you just simply state it is, they will give you what you want to hear. So you become more polarized in your thinking. And I say all this because it's really important for us to recognize this. There is a great opportunity in all this. But there's also been a great danger because this kind of polarization and this kind of animosity and this kind of hatred and this kind of divide is not just happening in our culture around us in the society that we see within our cities and things such as that. It's happening also within churches. It's happening within churches to churches, but it's actually happening within churches. I saw it through the the whole COVID experience. I I would be weekly on conversations with pastors whose churches are dividing over conspiracy theories or how and who should wear the mask and when and all these different things. And the reason I say all this is because I just want to paint a picture of the kind of culture that we're living in and what we are asking you and us to do, which is so countercultural. And that's to learn to listen to one another, understand each other, to take time to, ex- to, to, to realize that we may think differently and we may have some different views and, and, and to learn how to forgive and to learn how to, to, to reach out and to stay connected even though you may not like what you may hear from that person. How do you do that in love? What does that look like? How do we become a church that begins to model that? How do we do this together? With this agreement, I don't care in this church or other churches, this primary agreement, that we believe that Jesus is the Lord and the only one who saves us from our own sinfulness and, and heals us from deep within so that we can begin to develop the character of Christ and live out this life 
and help people move from the kind of pain and suffering that they live in this life or the mundaneness of this life or the being off track with regard to what's important to be able to help invite people into a place where they can experience heaven on earth so they can experience heaven forever. That's, that's, that's our basic agreement, right? And so that's what we're calling people to do together. Let's, let's, as best we can, every one of us be involved in some way, intentionally kind of reaching people and, 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 and praying through and asking the Holy Spirit for wisdom and guidance throughout our day. How do we, how do we love people through the gospel that saved us? And not judge people. For Christ himself did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. And not only that, how can we be the kind of people that begin to embrace and empower these emerging generations? Because you know what? The emerging generations are going to do this differently than us. They're going to think differently. They're going to, they're going to live differently. But if we can find common agreement, we should be able to do this what? Together. And so, I just want to share with you this, I think, very important truth of all this. And that is that if you, you, you look at the gospel, you'll see that Jesus kind of makes a point at one, at one time in his ministry where he makes it very clear that the one thing that's going to actually change and transform this world is our unity. Do you know that that's probably the greatest thing we can do as a witness to the entire world? And you're probably wondering, where do you get this? Well, in his final prayer, in John 17, Jesus gives these last words. And when, when a person has sharing kind of their last words with their final breaths, it has a deep gravity to it, doesn't it? You ever watch a TV show or a movie and the person is kind of in their last breath, they're dying, they're bleeding out. And you reach down, they listen to them, you can hear them, they can hardly hear them. And the person goes, I left the milk out. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Jesus, in his final breath before the cross, prays this prayer. I'm going to ask you to stand because we're going to read this. And with a sense of reverence, I'm going to ask you to say, Jesus, help me through this, through this message to, to grow up in what it means to develop unity within this body. Help me, Jesus, as well, as according to this prayer, to love one another as one of the primary things I do in my life. And then, and then I'm going to ask you to do this. This is the final challenge out of this prayer. And that is that you will personally be the answer to this prayer of Jesus. Don't be thinking everybody else. You will personally say, Jesus, I heard this prayer. I listened to your final breath. And it wasn't about leaving the milk out. <laughs> it was about something so important, which is this fact that when we do this together, the world will take notice and the Spirit of God will be released. Here it is. He says in these words in John 17, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So he's praying right now for you. This is your prayer. He's praying. He's thinking about you. That all of them may be, say it, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. There's some incredible oneness between those two. May they also be in us so that what? The world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me that may be, we may be one as, uh, that, 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 
that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Complete doesn't mean perfection. It means a maturity in unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me and have loved them even as you've loved me. Then. Father, we ask that you would take these words, and I pray in the, the moments I have, that you, Spirit of God, would inspire even the words that I say, the direction I go, where and how long I stay on anything. I pray, Father, God, you would be moving in us, because, God, we are not here just to show up at a church and to do a service. We are here committed to this work that you're doing of utmost priority. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So what I'm going to share with you is that we have this incredible opportunity. I believe that we have this great opportunity for God to work and to move in such a way that it can truly allow for the world to see why Jesus was sent in the first place. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't give a whole bunch of other instructions. He gives one basic instruction. His final prayer is all about unity, about oneness, so that people see that just as the Father and the Son love each other, so we love one another. And people look around and they go, wow, this is incredible. What love. What hearts that are united. I want to be a part of that community. I think of this, and I think of this as a challenge to grow up. And the reason I say that is because if you think about this prayer of Jesus, it was prayed how many years ago? 2,000 some years ago. Jesus prayed this prayer. And I've thought at times, and, and honestly, I... At one point in my ministry life, even before here, I had such a deep desire to see God bring not just churches, people and churches together in unity, but churches within communities together in unity, that I began to think about this. I was thinking, Jesus and Father in heaven, how long will you wait for us to grow up, to begin to grow into maturity so that we are a church that's unified, not just here together, but all the churches? I began to think to myself, it's been 2,000 years. There is a sense that we should take this so seriously. You can't be responsible for the generations before, and you're not going to be responsible for the generations that, uh, uh, before, uh, that are ahead of you, but you can be responsible for this generation. You can grow up and say, God, with everything in me, I want so much the character of Christ formed in me, I want to be so much in you and you in me so that you who are in him, the Father, is also in you, is in me. I, I couldn't do that again if I tried. <laughs> the call is to no longer be children. We have this incredible ability, when you think about it, the, the, the birth of the church, the infancy of the church, was, was birthed some 2,000 years ago, and you can expect, if you read through it, there's going to be all these problems. You read through Ephesians and Colossians and First Peter, and you read through all these different books, and you go, man, what a mess these people are. But that's okay with children, because children in some way you kind of recognize, you give them a lot of grace, they're just learning the ropes, you're kind of helping them along, right? You do that with your kids. When they're two years of age, you have a certain expectation. When they get to be 20, you have what? A different expectation. I was thinking about this and picturing this with regard to my, my brother and, my, and myself. And I remember as kids, probably about eight or ten, we would go on family road trips. Anybody go on a summer family road trip this year? Anybody have kids? What a wonderful experience, right? Um, 
there were three of us, my sister five years younger, my brother two years older. They would put my sister in the middle. She was the, we kind of thought, lucky one because she could actually move the radio from time to time. But they would sit, you know, on either side of her. And we would sit in the back. We had the whole backseat bench seat to ourselves. And, and it was really good for about an hour or so. It meant two hours. It was not too bad. And then eventually my brother would terrorize me. At least that's how I remember it, you know. And, and that's how I would express it to my parents as well. But they would eventually, after we'd been fighting over this territory, they'd finally just turn around and they'd go, here's the line. Anybody ever do that? My dad would make these, one time we were in California, he goes, if you don't stop, we're going to turn around and go home right now. And I'm thinking, really? Okay. But here's the line. And we would fight, and, but we could have everything on that side as long as you stay on your side. Well, my parents, when they were living, it was a number of years ago, well, maybe not that long ago, but it, they were um, living, and, and my parents came to pick up both my brother and myself to go to some activity, some event, ministry event. And so they get in the front seat, and my brother and I get in the back seat. Could you imagine how sad it would be if they had to turn around and say, Keith and Kevin, we're 42 and 44 at this point, here's the line, guys. I think Jesus is challenging us as a church. He's challenging you to grow up. To offer understanding and grace to others. To forgive that right now. You, to live the way Jesus wants you to live, you may be in a position right now and you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit and he's saying you need to forgive you got to let go of that person. you got to let go of that institution, that boss. I don't know what it is. But he's saying grow up. There's a second challenge that I want you to really think about too. And it's not just this idea of growing up. It's this idea of loving one another. Jesus prays this truth. He says, may they be brought to complete this kind of maturity of unity. And, And I'm not talking about, even when I was thinking about doing this with churches, I, I was meeting with all different churches, and they had different stripes of faith, honestly. They had beliefs that I wasn't fully always comfortable with, but I knew when I met with these pastors, they knew one thing, that Jesus was the only one who could save them. And I thought about that in some ways. I thought of it, you know what, maybe God in all his grace allowed us to come through this. I'm going to give a little quick, I wasn't going to do this, but quick history lesson. You go through the time of um, the whole the Catholic Church, all things uh, kind of a mess around 1500s. Luther comes along and says, hey, look, it's not by your works and all the legalistic things you do. It is fully 100% by faith in the grace of Jesus Christ that saves you and he alone saves you. And then what happened soon after that, because what happened was the word of God not being interpreted by the church as a whole, so to speak. It was now interpreted by individuals and individuals began to have differences. And if you look at the church family tree, it goes like this, Catholicism and then also Lutheranism or Eastern Orthodox. And, and then it splits. And if you go into the Protestant side, it just splits into all these. I can't tell you how many different denominations they are because of the way different people think and I wonder in some ways if God is saying you're in your teenage years and you're growing up and I'm going to let you have you know this church has its little kind of boundary and you're competing for for resources and you're competing in spiritual sense to see if you can get you know reach the gospel with many people and and it amazed me when I used to think about this I thought not only growing up 
But what is this idea of loving one another? The second challenge of what does it mean to love one another? Think about the churches in this area that are seeking after that one thing in agreement to see Jesus be Lord and Savior who changes people's hearts and lives. Think if they got rid of their boundaries and began to work together as one, it would release the work of the Spirit of God. That's what happens in every revival, in fact. Territorial lines, like the middle lines on the middle seat, go away. Well, this isn't really what I want my message to be about. I want to share with you what it means for us to love one another, because the Bible is so intent on us knowing this. It wants us to know this, and so there's 100 one another verses in the New Testament. The word one another, we are two words in the English language, but in the Greek language, it's just one word, alelon. In a hundred times the word alelon is mentioned in 94 verses throughout the Bible. Let me make sure I got 94. That's right. Yeah. 94 New Testament verses, not the Gospels, just the letters. And when you look at it, some common themes show up. I'm going to put them on the screen here. The first one is around this idea of the church getting along with one another. And it's just around the idea of unity. One third of the one another commands deal with unity in the church. And I just, there's a bunch of verses up here. Do we have them in there? Yeah. Be at peace with one another. Don't grumble. Be at sunny mind. Accept one another. Just go to the next slide because it's going to take us forever. Don't bite, devour, consume. These are all about, you know, unity. It's kind of like, doesn't make, it's like talking to kids. No more biting. Don't complain. How many know that complaining is a sin? I'm not, I'm not trying to be righteous here because I do it on a regular basis. And God's saying, grow up. Quit complaining. Love one another. If you've got a complaint, that means that you need to probably either forgive and let go or you need to go to that person and deal with it and speak the truth. This is all about it growing up. This is all about loving one another. There's, uh, don't complain. Confess sins with one another. Let's go on. The next one. Do I have any more on that one? No, that's it. So the next one. So unity, if that's one third, now the other third, so now we're up to 60% of these one another, a lay alone expressions. Instruct people to love one another. And so let's get these verses. Love one another. Look how many times you see that throughout there. Through love, serve one another. Tolerate one another in love. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Has anybody been greeting one another here with a kiss of love lately? No, don't do it. I'm sorry. That's, that's an Eastern style of kiss, you know, of, of greeting. And you can just go through. And then, and then of the 30% of your unity, 30% about loving one another, 15%, we're up to 85 of these 100 LA loan expressions are about humility. Because humility generates what? Both love and unity. Give preference to another, regard to one another, serve one another, wash one another's feet. Um, don't be haughty, be subject to one another. I just want to share with you a real, really exciting thing for me in the last, really last couple months. We have two groups within our church, a group that are like in their 20s to early 30s, but pretty much 20-somethings. And we have a group of people who, I'm going to just say, and if you're younger, please forgive me, but kind of 80 years and above maybe 75 years and above, okay? They never, since I've been here, those two groups met together. And they just began to talk with one another and begin to share with one another and begin to care for one another. 
And, and when Becca came up here and was sharing, I talked to a, a number of people in that, what we call um, Navigator Age Group, who were just talking about how much they loved what was going on with those kids. And they, tell, they told me, a couple of them told me, who they had met because they sat at tables and talked with another. They didn't do it just once, they've done it twice. It was an intentional decision to say, I want to know you, I want to understand you, I want to have relationships so that when we see each other in the church lobby, we can say hello to one another. We can know each other's name. And I just want to encourage us. One of the challenges in the prayer of Jesus is to learn how to love one another well. And then the last thing I'm going to share with you here is what I call um, an exciting challenge, and that is to to be the answer to this prayer of Jesus. Let's us as a church, but that isn't going to happen unless we all do it together, right? We move into this together and say, we are going to say unity in the way we love one another is important. We are going to say what it looks like to love one another is got to be expressed in, in practical ways And we need to do this in humility because we have made a decision according to the challenge of the prayer that Jesus gave us 2,000 years ago to grow up and to release the work of God in individual, in lives connected together, and also in families, in schools, in workplaces, throughout our community. So, you can be the answer to that prayer. When he says, love one another, it is a prayer for the world that through us, the world would know. You catch that, that line or That the world would know and experience his father's love. There's something incredible about the love of the Trinity. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The love between the three and the Trinity is so great. That love that is shared with one another, eventually it can't help but spill out to us. That's kind of the idea that you get throughout scripture. And so this love, when it gets like that, it also just spills out to the community around us. And what happens is this. This is how it kind of happens. And I'll give you some examples. I'm going to run through a bunch of examples. And one of the ways it happens is a person sees a need. They see some pain. They see a place where there's hurting or there's a gap where there is need for someone to have someone else come around them and care for them. And they by faith, are prompted through the Holy Spirit to step out and to help meet that need. So let me give you an example of this, because this happened in our church so many different times throughout the history of our church, and we're going to see it happen more and more. It's been happening. But I want to share with you um, real quickly about a, um, a family, um, Marlon and Marilyn Bloom. In fact, is, Mar- is Marilyn here? thought she was going to be here. I thought I saw her. Raise your hand. You got, oh, way back there, Marilyn. I would have you stand, but I, I'm going to embarrass you, okay? I'm going to share with you this story. It was written primarily by her son, uh, um, and I got a hold of it. Marilyn and Marlon began fostering children from troubled homes in the early 60s. And so in 1963, Marilyn and Marlon took in a young child named Annie. Annie was a year old 
when the state of Minnesota had to intervene because of the severe alcoholism of the family, the parents that she was being raised by. So Marilyn got a call asking if they'd take in a little girl in great need of a safe, stable home. And Marilyn, prompted by the Holy Spirit, seeing the need, said yes. It's amazing what a phone call and what consequences can occur from a yes to a phone call. Soon it was clear that Annie had cognitive and physical disabilities. The potential option was for Annie to be institutionalized or for Marilyn and Marlon to make an Annie a permanent member of their family. They chose the difficult sacrificial path. Annie became a part of the family and Marilyn became Annie's lifelong advocate. Marilyn provided Annie with the best educational and recreational opportunities she could find and afford. And the more Marilyn learned, the more aware she became that there existed a world of Annie's in need. So in the 1960s, you think about it, developmentally disabled people were largely neglected, even by many of their parents. Very few therapeutic, educational, occupational, and caregiving supports were available even in in, in society, let alone in the church. In 1967, Marilyn answered a local newspaper ad calling for a volunteer to work with a handful of disabled children at the church's nursery school. Marilyn answered the call. It's amazing the consequences of, again, someone being prompted by the Spirit, seeing something, responding to it, and how God continues to work through this. What started as a volunteer gig became a career spanning 30 years. Marilyn became known not only as an expert in her field, but as a woman whose love for disabled children and their parents was simply remarkable. Marilyn's love for the neglected disabled children, along with her love for Jesus, moved her not only by their physical, mental, and emotional challenges, but she was moved by their spiritual challenges. No church was offering anything spiritually for kids disabled or functionally um, uh, unable to you know, stand along or, or be with others. And so Marilyn began a Sunday school class designed for Annie and others like her, which led Marilyn to training others in other churches on how to start similar programs. And all this led to the birth of an outreach ministry, which some of you will know, called Christ for People. The ministry Christ for People had met in our church for some 40 years, every Tuesday evening, filling our sanctuary, touching the lives of thousands of physically and mentally challenged adults. And a few years ago, Marilyn stood up here on this platform, surrounded by a beautiful singing throng of her developmentally disabled spiritual children, her Annie's. And as one of Marilyn's children writes... As I watched my mom enjoy that moment of worship, it hit me. I was looking at a priceless sample of the fruit of my mother's life. It had happened. She had faithfully, lovingly labored for 50 years, and God had established the work of her hands. Annie's still living. She's in her 60s, and uh, she lives in a beautiful home. It's designed to serve the needs of development disabled residents. She lives with a friend, has a job, goes on vacations to parks, etc., sporting events, Provides transportation from time to time to the Christ for People ministry here on Tuesday nights. And what Annie is aware of is how much her mom loves her and how much she loves her mom, as well as does many other Annies touched through one person taking a step of faith. And here's the key, followed by others doing this together out of love for a need that had to be met. And as a result of that, over the last number of years, hundreds and thousands of of these disabled people have been touched by their love.
I could go on. I could just, there's others. I think of community Bible study with Maury Kapsner, who, as you know, is Peter's dad. Peter Kapsner's dad. Um, he, I don't know if he likes always be referred to as Peter's dad, but anyway. He had a desire to reach men with the gospel, teach them the Bible. He didn't want to do it here in our church. He wanted to be in a location where maybe it would be freer for some people who might not be as connected to what it means to have a life with Christ. So they did it in Holy Name Lake Church. And that Holy Name, they began to gather, and they've done that for a number of years. And as a result of that, they eventually had a burden to take the CBS Bible study to Africa. That little Bible study group began to bring leaders over to Africa throughout Africa today because of that little Bible study and a bunch of people following the faith of one person then doing this together. They've touched scores of life around the world. I, 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 could, I could name um, so many of these I think of our blue house and what God's going to do through the refugee family. You did as a congregation. We said, hey, look, it's going to cost to buy this. We believe God's calling us to do it. And then um, 18 people said, God, we believe you called us to do it. And now we have more people who are coming and saying, how can we be a part of helping this family? Mentioned Peru and Poland and Mongolia. I could go on about groups of people who had a step of faith and others came around and they did this together. Mobile Hope, some of you know that ministry, began with the VBS, and it was in Corcoran and Maple Hill Estates, and, and here is Jill Dajewski, who's working with that group, our youth pastor at a time, Brian, who's working at Target, both give up their jobs, they move from their home into Mobile Hope Estates, into the uh, Estates, Maple Hill Estates, and they begin to work with that group of people, they get land, they eventually build a center there, they have that place in Maple, up in Maple Hill Estates, and now they have one in Dayton, and God continues to work, and it happens because they have been motivated, but you came around them. I could ask hands of people who have come and helped them out. The Chinese ministry... I could go on and talk about what God has done, just baptizing another Chinese student this just a few weeks ago and how God has worked through Sai and how you have come around that. Some of you are picking up on a regular basis people to come to this church for this Chinese ministry. The Minneapolis ministry, I was there yesterday. Started out with Rob Vischer coming here and then Rob and Lisa Compton hear this message, their hearts are stirred. Their kids have a project they need to do, which is a multicultural and they experience worship somewhere else. They go to the Zion Baptist Church, which is a black church in Minneapolis. They experience it there and then a few months later, the whole George Floyd thing takes place. And then I said, we would love to be involved with something. I find out that they're doing that and then they bring us together. We start praying on Mondays, every Monday from noon to one as a group. And there's a group of people who have come around this now again. We're doing this together. And then the city comes and says, we've got four hotspots. Would your church and these churches come together and start to just have an influence there? And we've seen crime. I mean, they don't, the guys don't stand there with guns in their pocket across the street anymore. I remember the first time I came down there and they, Deacon Andre said, come on over. I want to introduce you to these guys. I'm going, I'm scared to death. I could name ministry after ministry where a person has been prompted by the Spirit. They stepped out in faith. Other people then prompted by the Spirit said, let's do this together. And God has done amazing things. And what I want to challenge you to think about, to make this really practical, what is God calling you to do, possibly to step out in faith, prompted to maybe see a need and meet it, Or, God is prompting you to come around someone who has stepped out in faith and say, 
God, I'm going to give my heart and so many resources and time to see you do something here. I want you to think about that. It, it doesn't have to be far away either. It could be serving in our, in our kids' ministry program. It could be serving in our youth ministry program. It could be serving as a small group facilitator. It could be serving in any number of these local or global impact ministries. But I want us to seriously consider, and I want you to consider, what is my answer to, to the prayer of Jesus to be? For some of you, it's just time to grow up. And God is saying, whatever it is, you need to begin to start loving someone else that's been really hard to love. It may mean allowing someone else to share how they think and what they think about something and still staying connected to them in a loving way. You don't have to agree. And for some of you, the answer to prayer is to say, God, I'm going to serve here. I'm going to serve in this place. I'm going to ask um, one other. I'm going to ask um, the Swartz to come up. They're going to share with you something God has been doing in their hearts. So you guys, where are you if you want to come up? If you come up, and as they do, we're going to show a video that will probably help you see it. So here's the video, and we're going to take a moment then to share. just confess, I was sitting and watching that, and I just got to say, Ben and Hannah Swart, thank you for coming up here. Um, what came in my mind as I was watching that is I, folks, don't know why God is leaving people like Tanvir and the whole ministry in Pakistan and Mama Betty and the ministry in Tanzania, why he's leading people into our body, people like yourselves who are going into the city and actually living there, except for the fact that You, we, get to be the answer to his prayer, which is also your prayer. 
of how God wants to impact the city in the places we live. So would you share a little bit of who you are and maybe what that's all about, which we watched? So I'm, I'm Ben Swart. you got to hold that a little higher. I'm Ben Swart. There we go. This is my wife, Hannah. Uh, we're relatively new members of the church. I think we started coming a bit over a year and a half ago, but Hannah actually grew up here in the church. John and Rachel Omen are my parents, if that helps you. <laughs> uh, why don't you guys come over here a little bit, and then yes. he doesn't have to work so hard on the camera. Yeah. Yeah, so I grew up in this church. Um, we are currently living in this neighborhood, Cedar Riverside, on that block that you saw. Um, ben, my husband, is a doctor at HCMC downtown, and I'm a full-time mom. Okay. And this is our neighborhood. We, When we were in undergrad here at the University of Minnesota, uh, the Lord really put the broken on our hearts. And in particular, uh, we, we both had an interest in cross-cultural missions. And so we actually looked around and saw Somalis. So you guys may not know, but Minneapolis has the largest Somali diaspora outside of the country. Um, and as you saw in our video, there's about 5,000 alone just on our city block in Cedar Riverside. So we actually got involved teaching English in the Somali community with Arrive Ministries, who's helping with the, the church, the home across the street. Uh, we were able to actually spend some time overseas in the Horn of Africa between my undergrad and medical school. And then in 2020, we moved back to Minneapolis, and the Lord blessed us immensely by putting us on a team of four other couples that are all like-minded and moved into that apartment building in the neighborhood in order to be salt and light. Yeah. So I, I remember when we were doing the Blue House and talking about this family, you came up to me afterwards and said, boy, if you need some medical help, whatever, I'll help out. And I was just so impressed that you know, God, the burden he's placed on, on you to give of yourself and to say, Lord, how can I meet these um, needs? Especially, I think of people in medical school. I go, they're crazy anyway, right? Just to try and get through that experience. But I, I want I want for people to hear in just these moments we have, um, what it is that they could do to help you. Yeah, so speaking of burden, living where we live, and it was probably kind of hard to catch on the video, but... In our neighborhood, it's impossible to walk around the block and not be faced with the problems of homelessness, addiction, fatherlessness. A lot of those things you saw, they're not things you have to go looking for. You actually have to step over them. You have to step over people who are are laid out on the ground. Um, It's not hard to be burdened when you're living in a place like that, but... First and foremost, what we what we need and what we're up here asking you all for is prayer. We have seen that it has to be the first priority. Um, it has to be where everything begins. Um, we we are putting together a team of people who are gifted in intercession. Some of you are going to see this video and you're going to see Somalis. You're going to. Um, feel the Lord's calling and the Lord's draw to be on a team of people who are committed to praying. We really need you. Um, we cannot, we cannot reach anybody for Jesus without you guys behind us. Um, the task is too big. Um, we, we may not, it may not be something where you are coming to live on the block like we do. But that may not be what, what you're called to do. You may be called to pray. 
Yeah. yeah. And we're, you know, we're planning on going overseas long term in a couple of years. And so if there is anybody with a strong interest in coming and making long term deep relationships on this block, we, we would love to get to know you. This isn't, it's kind of different than a normal church ministry. We're not, you know, giving out food or building something. This is really built on relationships over years. Uh, so if you're interested in cross-cultural missions, uh, interested in this block, seek us out. Our emails are online. We're here every week. Um, we would love to get to know you better. Thank you, can, guys. Can I add something really quick? No. Yeah, okay, go ahead. <laughs> I, I just wanted to say that um, one of the really cool things about our neighborhood is that it is a neighborhood um, there is, there's elderly people, there's grandpas, there's grandmas, there's sheikhs, there's little kids, there's moms, there's everybody. Um, it's not something that is bound by age. In fact, I as a mom, I cannot connect with the older men in our neighborhood. It's inappropriate. So we need people like you. If God is calling you, please, yeah. please come talk to us. Thanks, you guys. Thank you so much. Okay. What I'm going to ask you to do, yeah. If you guys want to hang around up here afterwards, and if anybody wants to come and talk to you, would you please stand? And we're going to close this service with this song. And this song, we sing every Monday when we get together with these Minneapolis churches with our black brothers and sisters. And I think it's a song of a kind of a black gospel tradition. But I've asked some of the people from the team who sing this to come up here. Garfield's going to lead us. But there's one line in here that I just, if we did this as a church, if you did this where you worked, if you did this in your family, it's a line that says, I will not harm you with words from my mouth. I just, every time I sing that, I go, oh, God, I, I would love to get better at that. I'm a word guy, so help me, God. Right? Let's sing this again.